0: Welcome to the Dr. Gabrielle Lyon Show, where I believe a healthy world is based on transparent conversations. In today's episode of the Dr. Gabrielle Lyon Show, I interview Dr. Andreas Ianfelt. He's a Swedish medical doctor who specializes in family medicine. He is the founder and CEO of Diet Doctor, which has been the world's most popular low-carb website for a decade. Let me repeat that. It has been the world's most popular low-carb website for a decade. Interestingly, in the past few years, Dr. Andreas has moved his company into higher protein diets. No surprise, but the surprise comes from the innovation of taking a higher satiety approach. And in this episode, we discuss, are there more flexible ways to incorporate carbohydrates in your diet and overall diet flexibility. Can you predict the actual amount of weight loss one will have based on a satiety index? And how do we incorporate technology into our learning and execution of dietary choices? Recently, he launched a new website called Hava, hav co, where they believe the future of eating for metabolic health and body composition is satiety. This is a very interesting concept. If you like this episode, please take a moment to like, subscribe, share it with a friend. I'm always trying to provide you, the listener, or you, the viewer, with new information that you can take back into your own life. Okay, let's get started. Thank you to Bite Toothpaste for sponsoring this episode of the show. If the name in and of itself, Bite, isn't enough to make you try this product, I don't know what is. I don't know about you, but I am the person who squeezes the toothpaste tube from the middle and eats a lot of toothpaste. Bite does two things. Number one, it eliminates packaging. It is exactly that, a small bite of non-chemical-based toothpaste. You just pop it in your mouth, you bite it, you chew it up, you put your toothbrush in, put a little I put a little water on my toothbrush, and off I go. I have fresh, clean breath. It's convenient. You can take it with you. There's no plastic tubes or messy paste, so you don't have to get mad at anyone. They also come in refillable glass jars. They are earth-friendly, mission-driven company, and Bite is offering, my listeners, 20% off your first order. You guys have to go check it out. All you have to do is go to try bite, trybite, dot com slash Dr. Lion, and you will get 20% off. That's trybite.com slash Dr. Lion. This is a great product. It is a clean product, and it makes traveling with toothpaste, whether it's on an airplane or at work or to a party, super easy, and it's good for the earth. This episode was sponsored by OneFarm. I love One Farm. One Farm is a farm to supplement company that makes products designed to improve people's lives using whole organic ingredients sourced directly from the farmers that grow them. One Farm believes that you should know where your product is grown, how it's grown, when it's grown, and most importantly, who grew it. And today, I want to talk to you about their gut health superfood. By the way, this month only, One Farm is offering my listeners a free gut health superfood, which is incredible. It's a bone broth. You'll put in one to two scoops in warm water. All you have to do is go to onefarm.com, put in the coupon LionGH, pay $5 for shipping, and you will get a free gut health superfood. Gut health superfood is an amazing bone broth that is enhanced with botanicals and adaptogens like chamomile and marshmallow root from family-run herb farm's high quality, excellent organic product that will support a healthy microbiome and better gut health. So head on over to one Farm. that's O-N-E farm.com, put in the code LIONGH to get your free gut health superfood. All you have to do is contribute $5 for shipping. Dr. Andreas Ian Thank you so much for coming on the show. I am really excited to interview you. You have been a long-time advocate of using nutrition as a tool to get the best out of people.
1: Yeah, well, thank you for having me on the show. It's going to be fun to talk about that. Yeah, my favorite subject.
0: (laughs) One thing that really strikes me about you, and first of all, you were a practicing family medicine physician.
1: Yeah.
0: However you're mis- you're so mission driven and i think it's one of the things that perhaps you don't speak so much about you talk a lot about the science i'm very curious about the person behind the science and uh, you are one of again the most driven people to get the message out there why
1: well thanks um, i mean for me it's working as a family doctor just seeing how many people suffer because of the, the environment we live in today that drives these sort of, this epidemic, epidemic of metabolic disease and obesity. And, and this really fuels all our chronic diseases and, and uh, destroys quality of life. Um, and I think just experiencing how through uh, medical school and through working as a, as a family doctor, we basically mostly treat it with medication and those mostly just blunt the symptoms of they, they don't really remove the cause but some some might get close to it but pretty much they don't remove the cause of the of the problem they just reduce the symptoms the complications and we don't get to the root cause because it's so much more complicated to change your lifestyle change what you eat and change how you live so and it's so controversial, but. I think what what really uh, drove this home to me is um, reading a lot about it, getting into it myself, trying it myself, and then seeing in patients what tremendous, enormous differences it can make in people's lives. Uh, when uh, you know, because generally, as a doctor, what what you're used to seeing is people just get a little bit older every year, a little bit sicker, and you, they need more medications, etc. But when they can change their lifestyle and come back and be it transformed like their health markers are vastly improved they feel much better they are much lighter they can get off medications instead of on medication it's pretty exciting and uh, you know when i started experiencing this and started talking to people about this patients about this it was such a change and mm.
0: that's beautiful was there one thing that really changed for you did you have a patient? Was there a defining moment that there was a perhaps even a fork in the road where you said, you know what, this is, I don't feel good about prescribing this. There's got to be a better way.
1: I think there was many people that influenced me on the way, many patients. But I remember one patient where I just, uh, I printed the, the glucose curve, which has been really, really high. And it just it just dropped like a rock down to normal um, in a few months, and I just took I I was you know relatively junior. I just took it around to show the other doctors in the clinic. I was like, they'd been working for decades and they'd never seen anything like it before. Uh, And I think that is one of there were there were many many things like that. But that's, that's one of the things that made me feel like wow, this is really something special and. And even experienced doctors don't really know this. They don't really experience it. Uh, so ultimately, I felt like trying to help one person at a time uh, wasn't really effective enough, right? It doesn't really move the needle. I mean, you know the, that millions and millions of people could benefit from this. So I started a, a blog <laughs> in Swedish and it turned out to be quite popular. A lot of people reading it and it turned into the biggest health blog in Sweden within less than a year. And then that's kind of how it got started. <laughs> so, I just, yeah.
0: I love that. And now it is a massive website. So it's, for those of you listening, it's thedietdoctor.com. What is the mission? What is your mission? What is the Diet Doctor's mission?
1: Well, ultimately it's about contributing to a world with more healthy, happy people living more fulfilling lives. That's that's what it's about. And it's about helping people unlock their potential to live the life they want. And we, we want to do that by by guiding people to healthy and feeling foods that they love. Uh, something that is simple and doable. I mean, with diet Doctor, we've always, always tried to uh, make low carb simple, uh, make low carb and keto simple. It's It's difficult to change your lifestyle, it's it's hard to know what to believe and what to trust. So we just want to make it simpler. Um And of course, now we have also uh, another new website, uh, another new approach that we're exploring, because I think while low carb is great, um, there might be room for something even more innovative, and more flexible. I love that. Probably close to what you're doing, I think.
0: (laughs) Yes, which um, I'm biased, but I I think that from a protein-forward perspective, it's critical. It's interesting because the low-carb diet has a long history. So the earliest documented low-carb diet was in 1862 for those individuals who are interested in uh, the history of things. And, you know, for me, and I'm sure for you, the history – Always paints a beautiful picture because if we take things as um, as if they've always been there, then we have no idea where we're going or where we even came from, or perhaps errors in the way that we think about things. So by looking at history, it will tell us a lot about the interface that we're going to have with the future. And in 1862, there was the Banting diet, and this was a, a lower carb, protein-focused whole foods diet, which uh, was. So interesting. And then, of course, the Robert Atkins, known as the Atkins diet in 1972, which uh, defined low carb ranges, and and we're going to define low carb for the listener, uh, anywhere from 20 to 150 grams of carbohydrates. To lay out our paradigm of thinking for the next hour or so, when we think about a very low carbohydrate diet, and you correct me if you have a different definition, but in the literature, we're looking at 10% carbohydrates or less. This could also be 20 to 50 grams per day. A low carbohydrate diet is less than 26% carbohydrates or less than 130 grams of carbohydrates per day, which would be defined as the RDA. Moderate is interesting. It moves 26 to 44%. And interesting, it doesn't give a number. Um, I'm sure the astute listener will say, well, how come? Because they, I think there's issues when we look at diet in terms of percent. And then a har- high-carbohydrate diet would be 45% or higher. Can we agree that that's how you would define it?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's close enough. Absolutely. Something like that.
0: <laughs> so, something similar. Why from your perspective and what's so interesting. And I really want to talk about how you initially thought about and implemented a low carb diet, what the health benefits were. And as you transitioned, which I know I believe that you're now transitioning from a lower carbohydrate diet to something potentially even more flexible. So let's yeah, start with the, the low carb portion.
1: Yeah. Low carb is kind of how I got into this. And and like you say, Uh, Yeah, And uh, like you went through the history, it's, it's a long history, lots of experience. And also, uh, in the last 20 years or so, quite a quite a few high quality studies have been made to demonstrate gold standard research, randomized controlled trials had to demonstrate that this can be quite effective for a lot of people. So it's got a good evidence base, it's got a lot of history, a lot of experience. So I think the strength of the low-carb approach is in, in the fact that it, it's it been validated by a lot of experience, by a lot of studies, that it works for, for weight loss, for improving metabolic health, etc. I do think, though, that in the last, let's say, five or ten years, certainly in the last five years, uh, there's been a lot of research to suggest that uh, maybe the reasons why low carb diets can work so well is, are a bit different than we used to think, and that is what makes it really interesting. I believe to to explore, can we actually shape something that is more flexible and still more effective potentially at the same time? To me, that's really exciting. But with that said, I think low carb is something really solid to fall back on. It's something we know works.
0: And when you define low-carb and you started your patients on low-carb or the people that you're talking to, how do you tell them to do it? How do you design a diet? What are some of those grams? How can the listener who's thinking about it and saying, gosh, I hear this concept of low-carb all the time, what is it? And is 130 grams low-carb? Is it 50 grams? What is it?
1: I think the, the way I see it, there is not one specific limit. It's more the fewer carbs people eat the more effective it tends to be although that i would argue now that that depends a little bit on on what you replace the carbohydrates uh, with but uh, i mean i I think your listeners know this probably relatively well uh that you know you you avoid big sources of carbohydrates like bread and pasta and rice and potatoes and of course uh, most ultra processed foods and and candy, and, and donuts, and and cake, and all that. Uh, and then you try to eat uh, as close to real, uh, whole, low-carb foods as possible. So, meat, fish, eggs, vegetables, and uh, various kinds of, of fats like butter and oil and so. And Although that, most people would probably avoid seed oils <laughs> and vegetables and I don't know, you just really disappointed a foods. lot
0: of people in the podcast because now, You're telling them that potentially they wouldn't be eating uh, cakes and muffins. Uh, I know my family is very disappointed, especially um, my husband, who's eating pancakes under the table. But the hypothesis for why a low-carb diet works. Can you talk a little bit about what the original thought process was and potentially where it is now?
1: Yes. I mean, there's been sort of an evolution of this this theory, uh, but I think for for most people, when they have gotten into it over the last few decades, is this version of the carbohydrate-insulin model model that goes something like if you eat carbohydrates, they break down uh, in your body to simple sugars. This raises your blood sugar levels, and this results in the production of insulin, the hormone, which is the fat-storing hormone, and that makes your body store fat, and therefore, if you eat carbohydrates, your body stores fat, and then you have to eat more to uh, get the energy you need because your fat stores are now growing. And it's sort of focusing on the uh, fat cell as sort of controlling this sequence of events uh, through this hormone insulin, and it puts a lot of focus on Carbohydrates specifically as as fattening and uh, and sort of gives a free pass to other foods such as fat and which where may are or may we not now? be correct.
0: <laughs> and and where are we now?
1: Yeah, I think that there's been a number of studies that call into question if it's really this simple. I would argue it's probably not. It's probably a bit more complex. And um, for example. Uh, all of these studies that show that low carb uh, leads to weight loss and improved metabolic health, they are generally also higher in protein. Because if you remove uh, carbohydrates, you tend to want to eat more of something, and that uh, something usually is partially fat, but also partially more protein. So let's say more meat, more fish, more eggs, it's all very rich in protein. So and and we know that protein is the most satiating macronutrient, um, the one that leads to people generally eating less, and probably this is a, a big part of the fact. Uh, but there might be other things too, because if you go on a low carb diet, you also exclude pretty much all ultra processed, hyper palatable foods, like we talked about, cakes and donuts and pizza and. You know, potato chips, they all go away <laughs> on a strict <laughs> low carb diet. And uh, we also know that these are perhaps the class of foods that drive the most overeating and most, um, uh, that are the most obesogenic. I would argue now that um, there is there's a lot of evidence that ultra processed foods in general are uh, driving overeating. And uh, even if the amount of carbs is the same between two different diets, one high in ultra processed foods and one low in ultra processed foods, uh, they tend to be very different in their effects. And um, and, and, um, also uh, vice versa, there's been this interesting study called diet fits which was was actually partially funded by a an organization that tried to prove this carb insulin model and what they did was they this is one of the biggest and best studies that have ever been made on this topic so they divided a large group of 600 people into two groups one had a low carb diet and one had a high carb diet uh, for weight loss and they both lost a lot of weight, pretty much the same in both groups—one low carb, one high carb. So, how is that possible if it's all about the carbs? I I don't think it is. Um, but what they actually did was it was a healthy high carb diet. So, they didn't have any processed foods, sugar, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. It's a more uh, whole foods, um, low fat, um, high high carb. And, and, and it just goes to show that that can work too. And I mean, we, we also know that from from uh, looking at the world, um, you know, where people in Asia living on uh, traditionally, at least living on very high carb diets, uh, rice and other things, very high carb and still having no metabolic problems, no obesity. Uh, we have a lot of people who are interested in fitness, who are often eating quite a high carb diet and still being extremely lean, um, and we have these uh, indigenous populations or, or hunter gatherer populations or, or at least populations that are, that have no uh, sort of western uh, foods, various populations that have been studied like the Hadza people, the kitavans, et etc, that eat a mostly carb diet and same thing there they have no obesity no metabolic problems so i mean there are various lines of evidence but i, I think it all points to the fact that even if low carb diets work you, know, you can also be lean and healthy on a high carb diet if it is unprocessed if it is nutrient rich um, and you know not full of sugar and processed foods basically
0: I think that's a really great perspective, because initially, when you started, you were, you know, having patients do low carb diets, and really believed that it was about the fact that the carbohydrates needed to be low. Uh, Again, that working model was a carbohydrate insulin model with the primary hypothesis to be lowering insulin. And it seems as if over the years, you've evolved in your thinking, which is, uh, of course, the sign of uh, someone who is well-read and very open-minded in the way that potentially there are multiple ways to get to the end result, which is exactly what you said. We all want individuals to be healthy and well. When you started doing the low-carbohydrate diet, I would say that it probably wasn't mainstream at the moment, right? It was uh, still... no, no, no.
1: <laughs> Very controversial, for sure. So this is back in 2006. Um, it was quite, uh, quite controversial, much more so than now.
0: So uh, kudos to you, because people initially, when something is different, always will t- definitely try to take down that individual uh, until, of course, as time evolves, and then they are uh, proven to be right. It's kind of how that works. When it was low-carb for you, you had mentioned a low-carb ketogenic diet. So a ketogenic diet is 70% or more fat. It's actually not a high-protein diet. I believe um, 20% or less, potentially.
1: I mean, it varies uh, with different people, but certainly it can be, yeah. I mean, I think it can be slightly higher too.
0: And w- when did you shift your focus or perhaps maybe you didn't, shift your focus away from fat to the concept of increasing dietary protein?
1: So it's been quite a long long process, I think. Uh, Probably 2018 is when I really started exploring this much more. Uh, But I mean, I was exploring it before that too, but, but that's when I really started getting you know, deep into deep into protein, um, yeah. And I, just uh, to connect back to to what you started by by saying, you know, staying open minded, learning. I mean, I, I think this is this is what science is, right? We are supposed to be um, open to the idea that we are always going to be wrong to some extent, and and the goal, if you want to learn, if you want to improve, if you want to you know uh, approach the future and be um a little bit ahead of it if you will um then the goal is to be become less wrong as quickly as you can and that <laughs> means learning as quickly as you can and, and you just make
0: a lot of keep... mistakes
1: yeah sh- sure but we always make mis- mistakes uh the only difference is uh, if you refuse to accept it then you will keep doing it forever right Uh, And uh, Or if you accept that you're making mistakes, then you have a chance to stop doing it. So I I choose the latter, I guess.
0: (laughs) Um, When you now make a recommendation for carbohydrates, how do you think about it?
1: Yeah, great question. I mean, now I don't think that carbohydrates is the only thing anymore. It's just one factor out of of many. And I think that uh, for people who want to Lose weight, improve body composition, improve b- metabolic health. Then, increasing protein as a percentage is quite impactful. Which means that lowering carb carbs is one way to do that. Uh, but you can actually lower fat as well, or lower lower at least lower added fats uh, is also quite effective. When I mean, uh, the fats that come with foods like fish and meat and eggs, I wouldn't worry so much about that unless you have some kind of extreme. Uh, Targets, but um, but adding oil and adding butter and oil, adding cream, etc. It, it's quite possible to get more effective results by reducing that as well. But I think actually that there are, are, are there are multiple factors. It's not just about protein either. And if you look at uh, there's a lot of exciting um, studies showing that multiple factors can influence food intake and satiety and, uh, and this includes the energy density of foods. so how how many calories per per, per gram uh, or the sort of the hyper palatable nature of of foods if they are extremely rewarding like certain combinations of foods are, are very rewarding for us like fat and sugar together you think of ice cream or, uh, starch and fat and salt together, like potato chips, um, can be made extremely hyperpalatable. So it's very hard to stop eating it. And once you start, you're probably going to eat, at least I do, <laughs> eat all of it uh, if I start. So it would be better not to, or, or to have a small portion. Fiber seems to have not a very powerful effect, but a a little bit of an effect to blunt um, food intake and uh, increase uh, satiety. Um, And probably there are other smaller factors too, but these seem to be perhaps the biggest four. So what I found really exciting now is... uh, low carb is good in a way because it's so simple right you, all you have to do is say "Count your carbs eat fewer carbs it's very simple uh if you start saying that y- you should mind your protein percent and the energy density of your food and the hyper palatable combinations etc cetera, etc cetera, and the fiber per you know a thousand calories now suddenly it becomes almost impossible to do right I- anybody normal would just give up um But what I find exciting is that with technology, we can build tools to make it simple. You can take all that complexity and make it super simple again. And the benefit of that is that now you have multiple levers and you can be much more flexible in your choices. You don't have to prescribe to one sort of specific dietary uh, approach. Um, You can choose whatever works. And um, you may also potentially get even an even stronger effect. Like if you are, if you are struggling on on low carb or any other approach, struggling to reach your goals, you could imagine that having access to all of these factors, having being able to leverage all of them, now you can get a much stronger effect. Um, so that I find fascinating, and that's what we're building tools for now.
0: So give me an example. Give the listener example of what it. So if an individual, well, what percentage of protein for the diet do you typically re- recommend?
1: Um, again, I, I think that that's just one of the levers. And uh, so what we're building now is a, is a model called satiety per calorie, so that you can rank foods, or we have an, an algorithm that takes in all of these various pieces of of data about a food or a meal or a diet, and then um, it sort of... it. Uh, uses this to predict from zero to 100 how much this food drives overeating and obesity versus maximum satiety versus in the middle, like middle of the range might be, you might consider normal satiety or at least, you know, something that will uh, tend to lead to normal body composition and normal metabolic health uh, if you were to eat it every day. Um, so that's the idea, taking all this complexity with 20 different numbers and boiling it down to one number and then making it easy to see which foods are higher or lower so that you can, if your goal is to lose body, body fat, for example, or improve blood pressure or something like that, then you want to get a little bit higher on that satiety scale on average over the day. I see. So that's the concept.
0: That's amazing. Is it? Is it one out of a hundred? One out of ten? What is the range?
1: The way we have done it is from zero to a hundred. So zero is where you, or or you know, low low sing- single digits is where you find the the worst ultra processed foods like the donuts, uh, like the Pringles chips, you know, Doritos, all that stuff. Uh, and then at the very top, that's not really wh- where you want to be on average because it's just going to be too effective for you. That's why. That's what I said. Like this is, this is a, tr- a pretty powerful tool, which means that going all the way to the top, now you're only eating protein and fiber and not, not much else, and you're gonna starve to death in another kind of way. Yeah, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, down down at zero you might eat yourself to death by, you know, eating too much. Uh, at the top you might starve to death by eating too little. So it's uh, it's basically like vegetables, egg white, you know, shrimp and stuff like that. That's just protein and fiber. Nothing so low
0: at uh, high protein would be at the top.
1: Yeah, or low dependent. everything except for protein and fiber, yeah. Okay. Do you
0: off the top of your head know a handful of 100 scoring
1: foods? Spinach, for example, is a 100 scoring food. So, uh, and people might say, "Well, I don't get you know satiety from spinach. That's ridiculous. I'm not going to be full by eating spinach." And, and that's absolutely true. That's the point you you can't you can't even eat enough to be satisfied. Uh, try to get obese eating just spinach. You know that's going to be very impossible. I would say. What else? But if you want to be in the in the center, uh, think of things like uh, eggs and bacon fried eggs and bacon, that's pretty much right square in the middle, 50. You could probably eat only that and stay normal. You wouldn't starve to death and you wouldn't get obese. You would just be normal.
0: Thank you to First Form for sponsoring this episode of the show. If it's one thing that I believe individuals should cycle through in their health and wellness plan, it is adding in a multivitamin. Microfactor is just that. It's a complete daily nutrient pack, meaning it has six different products in one small, convenient pack to give your body what you need for all the things that you need to do. Whether it's a strong immune system, whether it's overcoming micronutrient deficiencies, Microfactor goes far and beyond what you get from a standard multivitamin. And not only that, the packs are super convenient. We have all traveled with a bunch of little pill packs and they always open in the bottom of the bag. You find a whole bunch of vitamins. Microfactor eliminates all of that. These Microfactor packs are super easy to travel with. They have a digestive enzyme, an antioxidant, a fish oil, just a really amazing, amazing product. Even it has a fruit and veggie supplement. Microfactor, check it out, has a great Health, immune, building, pack in it, multivitamin, coq10, antioxidant, essential fatty acid, head on over to firstform.com slash doctor lion and avoid the spillage in the bottom of your bag. That's firstform.com slash doctor lion. Thank you to Inside Tracker for sponsoring this episode of the show. Inside Tracker is an amazing company that will allow you to look at very important health biomarkers. On your own. Super easy to use. Inside Tracker for a limited time only is giving my listeners 20% off their entire store, which is so generous. Head on over to insidetracker.com slash Dr Lion. And basically, what you will get are a ton of health biomarkers, a daily action plan. Personal guidance on exercise, your biological age, and a whole host of other things. It's really critical that you understand what is happening within your body. I always recommend to my patients that we test blood work not once, not twice, but depending on what they need, quarterly blood work is key. Inside Tracker makes that so easy. They've recently added in ApoB, which is a critical marker for heart health. If you guys do not know your ApoB number, it is the time to do it. They've also added insulin. If you do not know your fasting insulin, guys, you do need to know these numbers, especially because you are interested in taking control of your health. Head on over to tracker.com slash Dr. Lyon. Where does fruit fall in to that?
1: Which Zero one? to a hundred fruit. Fruit, yeah, good question. That's actually, to me, quite interesting. Uh, I'm going to keep it as a bit of a cliffhanger because some people think that fruit is like the, the most healthy thing you can eat. Uh, and other people feel like it is evil and all full of sugar, and it's going to give you diabetes and, and and make you obese. When you put fruit into our satiety algorithm it ends up somewhere in the middle low average so like an apple might be 45 or something like that um, and how does someone construct
0: the, a diet with this satiety calculator
1: mhm so you can uh, you can uh, calculate the, the satiety value of any food any ingredient any recipe or or an entire day or an entire week and the goal is to to stay at a good Good uh, average over time, so not um, it doesn't matter perhaps so much if you eat you know something that's low satiety now and then as long as you combine it with things that are are higher satiety over the day. Um, but you can use our tools for that, or you can just um, I mean, to some extent, these uh, these things are 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 not super super controversial. If you go for higher protein, higher fiber, less processed foods, then you are basically using something very similar to this. And I, I would assume that the foods that you eat and that you recommend to patients is not so far from what this would end up recommending. I think what the benefit this may bring is a few more insights about how to tweak you can find some insights about how to tweak your diet and make it even more effective, or use it to find some some new things that you hadn't thought about before that, that might fit your preferences.
0: How does the relationship between food combination work with satiety? So how do you mean? For example, if it's an individual food, um, an ind- a person may not just be eating spinach, but maybe they're eating spinach with a pancake
1: exactly of course yeah. or
0: um, I don't know hopefully people aren't eating spinach pancakes that's gross but <laughs> things of that but nature pancakes
1: yeah so you could basically for for a meal for a recipe y- you can look at uh, the macronutrients the weight um, of the whole recipe of the whole meal and plug it into the calculator to get the satiety score of that so you you wouldn't have to necessarily calculate every ingredient by itself you can also just take the the full uh full macros and weight of it
0: that's interesting um do you believe that the calorie balance matters but it's just difficult for individuals to know their calorie intake to track where does calories come from so what i'm hearing you say without saying it is that individuals really struggle to, uh, maintain a optimal body composition because tracking is difficult. And what you're saying is, uh, in essence, that if they just focus on satiety, an individual would not have to track.
1: Yes, pretty so, much. I, I would say though, that it's more than difficult to, to track calories and lose weight by tracking calories. I would say is it's, it's pretty much impossible for almost everybody to do if if all you do is eat track and eat less and you're eating let's say a standard american diet then you're probably doomed to fail i think everybody who succeeds by tracking and restricting calories they also try to make better food choices at the same time because they they quickly figure out that if they eat french fries and they drink sugary soda etc cetera, etc cetera, they're gonna pass their calorie limit without reaching satiety right they're gonna be hungry and miserable at their calorie limit but if they switch to higher protein higher fiber foods etc cetera, etc cetera, lower carb foods then then they can do it and what i'm proposing is well why not then start with that instead and then you don't have to track calories If you eat higher satiety foods foods that you know are gonna make you feel satiety then you may not need to track your calories you're gonna end up in the right place anyway and i think that's ultimately the way that humans are supposed to work and that's the way any animal in nature is supposed to work because if you look at animals in nature none of them know anything about calories right except for you know, humans in the last hundred years or so. And yet, as long as animals eat their natural foods that they're adapted to, they never get obese. So how is that possible? They can have any amount of food. They can be standing in in an ocean of food. They don't get obese. They just eat until they're satisfied and then they stop. And I think that's exactly how humans work too, just like any other animal. As long as we eat foods that we're adapted to, we are gonna to want to stop when we have had enough, and the problem is cost. The problem we're in now, I would argue, is caused by the food industry, by big food, uh, and not by some conspiracy or malice or anything like that. It's just they have been doing what they have to do for a hundred years. They have been chasing profit. That's what they're. Uh, incentivized to do that's what they have to do to please their shareholders who are the ones who are deciding so it's they don't have a choice they have to chase profit and how do you find profit in the food industry well you sell cheaper ingredients at uh uh, at a higher price or or more of it right Uh, cheaper ingredients means less nutrient uh, less nutritious ingredients less protein um, Protein is expensive, um, meat and fish and eggs expensive, but added oil, added sugar, very, very, very cheap. And, um, And then if you can package it in a way that makes people want to eat more and buy more, then you also increase your profit, right? So the goal becomes how can we sell the cheapest possible ingredients that people want to eat as much as possible of and buy as much as possible of. That's the formula to increase profit. And unfortunately, that's also the formula for creating an epidemic of obesity and diabetes in the world, and that's what's happened. So I think there there is, uh, there is no big, big secret here. It's just our science has improved, and we have learned how to create foods that are very cheap to produce, and that what people want to eat, as you know, enormous amounts of, and it's just very, very rewarding to eat, and, uh, and people basically can't stop eating it, and uh, profits for the food in- industry is up, and then uh, people get obese, and diabetic, and heart disease, and cancer, and dementia, and then they need lots of medications. Every day, and then it's good for the pharmaceutical industry too. So everybody profits, but um, people pay the price Mm. with poor health.
0: Absolutely. And that cost is tremendous. I mean, the cost, the burden on society, it's everything. Enormous. And it destroys people's lives. It's, you know, unfulfilled dreams and a world of regret at the end because they've been so anchored in. Food or chasing body composition or chasing poor health—it is devastating. I, I certainly had that experience when I was doing my fellowship in geriatrics. It it is so above and beyond the profit, the impact to the world—just tremendous.
1: Exactly. Think... I mean, I really think that there is, uh, but you can think of it if you're an entrepreneur and an optimist. I guess we both are sense you start thinking, wow, what an opportunity to do something meaningful here. Um It's really fantastic in a way, because this, to me, seems like the biggest health problem in the world. And if we together could find a way to just reduce it by half, then like you said, I think there would be an enormous release of human potential happiness productivity in our fulfilled dreams, that would be amazing, really.
0: Well, we're doing it. <laughs> we're doing right, it. We're trying, we're so, uh, We're on track, we're on track. Do you think that the low carb, uh, keto, all these different diets have failed and that's why you decided to create the satiety index?
1: No, I don't think it's failed. I think that all diets, tend to work uh, for people who can uh, um, imagine doing it for the long term. Clearly, a low carb diet is quite effective for lots of people. As long as people want to do it, it works. But people can go on uh, other kinds of diets and and get uh, uh, a good effect as well. I think actually, a strict low carb keto diet may have some benefits that other diets don't have, they they tend to lead to a loss of uh, a few pounds of fluid, for example, uh, in the first few days, that is pretty good for people's motivation, which uh, this is not something you get from any other diet. So I wonder if that's actually one of the reasons why it is as popular as it is. uh, Because you get you get a more rapid rapid effect. Uh, but th- that aside, I think there are many, many diets that can work. And I think the low carb and keto approach a solid option with a lot of good evidence behind. Uh, I certainly support it. And you know if you people want to go on a low carb diet, our website diet doctor and our app i mean we try to make it simple it's free to start out so i mean we're gonna keep keep doing that but um i do believe that there is the potential now to create something more innovative more flexible that could fit more people for longer and potentially also help people various diets including low carb to break through plateaus and get uh, a more more effective version of, of for example low carb so that's uh, that's what we're building we launched a website called hava.co we're building an app for that and i'm quite excited i, I think this uh, might be something special
0: hmm. it's it's really interesting because on one hand i suppose you could just say Well, satiety is going to increase if you're just eating whole foods. But as you had mentioned, the whole foods that we choose may or may not be as satiating as a different food, whether it's a stick of butter or a large pineapple, and the overarching um statement to say, well, just eat more whole foods without thinking that those foods have varying degrees of satiation to then limit hunger and to limit overeating, basically is what you've done is you've put it into some kind of context.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think uh, this idea of whole foods and and ultra processed foods has a lot of merit and it's very helpful, but I think that it also gets rightfully criticized for being an imperfect uh division very binary and 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 quite imperfect like there are examples of of whole foods that may not be great for various purposes and there are examples of ultra processed foods that could be great i also think that it's it's uh highly unlikely that we'll ever get to a world where nobody is eating any ultra processed foods and therefore because it's it's convenient it's cheap it's tasty and 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 it's very available right it's the majority of what people eat today so to just remove it completely that's a huge change and because of the benefits of it i i don't see that happening so i actually think that a benefit of this satiety approach is that we can also get get away from this kind of binary and imperfect division into whole foods and ultra processed foods and, and they instead look a little bit more at the at the scale at the 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 big variety of 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 foods like you can imagine some ultra processed foods are dreadful some are just slightly bad and some are actually quite okay Maybe we can help people find less bad ultra processed foods and within this whole foods area also depending on what goals people have you find find more effective whole foods for them. So, for example. And this may be controversial, but, you know, butter is relatively unprocessed, uh, but it's also pretty low in protein. Uh, very low in fiber there's no fiber very energy dense and it can easily be combined with high higher carb ingredients to make something very palatable so it's not uh, and, um, something else perhaps like uh, nuts um, macadamia nuts for example not so processed right pretty unprocessed um but if you want to um, lose weight it may not be the most effective thing. It's pretty low protein again, very energy dense, et cetera. If you add salt to it, it's relatively rewarding and tends to drive eating. So again, uh, all on, uh, all unprocessed foods are not, not perfect. Uh, and uh, on the other end of things, ultra processed foods, you can imagine something like a, a whey protein powder uh, with additives in it. Um, Highly ultra processed food, but for people who want to uh, lose body fat and improve their body composition, build muscle, it can probably be quite quite good for that purpose. Uh, ultra processed, yes, but highly nutritious and very very low in in uh, um, pure energy uh, calories.
0: I I totally agree with you. I was actually thinking about the whey protein example as it relates to where potentially an ultra-processed food may be really beneficial to use. I wonder if at some point the industry that is making ultra-processed foods will improve the satiation. I mean, I suppose that goes against what kind of the – Uh, impetus is to generate profit but it it would be pretty amazing so if there are individuals that are uh, making or in food industry i think that there's probably ways to do it well and you you know you had mentioned macadamia nuts or whole foods that again if an individual can control calories then um they can eat those foods right regardless of of how
1: i'm not saying you stop eating it completely i'm just encouraging people to be aware of the kind of effect it can have depending on your goals, it may be smart to keep that in mind.
0: Yeah, essentially it takes the halo off the food. Just because something is unprocessed doesn't necessarily mean it's healthy or, um, you know, I hate to use the word healthy or unhealthy, but that it, it is very easy to overconsume those foods. What do you think is, after this satiation component, what do you think is next? What is next for you guys? Are you guys solely focused on really changing the narrative? Because most people are not talking about satiety.
1: Mm. No, we're f- we're solely focused on this. I think it's gonna be massive, massive, massive. Uh, I think that this is something that could be of huge benefit to one billion people, maybe more. So that's quite big enough. Um, this is all we do at Hava. Um, although, yeah, it is of course, uh, more complex, uh, with the implementation of it because eating is a, is a very personal thing. And people have very different preferences and likes and dislikes and, and situations and budgets and a million other things so there's certainly a lot of complexity in building tools to make this simple simple for people so i wouldn't say it's we're we're just doing satiety we're 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 just building satiety tools yes but we're also trying to uh, find ways to make implementing that in, in in people's lives simple and that's that's a huge huge thing
0: yeah forever diet and nutrition even exercise uh, will always be difficult for humans because we're so domesticated where does alcohol fall in the spectrum of satiety and by the way how big is your database
1: Uh, so we we have uh we we bought a a big database so we have millions and millions and millions of of food items but then we're also um Uh, curating this ourselves in various ways to make it really good at the uh, most most common common things Uh, on alcohol uh, unfortunately i have to say it's quite quite low Uh, not a lot of nutrition in alcohol and uh, it does have a bit of a hedonic uh, thing going for it meaning that people tend to like drinking alcohol so it is uh yeah unfortunately, not super helpful for weight loss. I would argue what do you anything think that you
0: were very surprised about when you started collecting this data i
1: mean the the thing that blew my mind the most i mean there are so many things that that are slightly surprising here and there, but the thing that blew my mind the most is that having you know coming from the low carb area and having spent uh, twenty years uh, exploring this, I've heard so so many times that you know, for people who struggle on low carb, they should be careful with eating nuts and dairy. And nobody's really come up with a good suge- uh, good explanation uh, explanation for why. Because you know, butter, cream, etc., very low carb. Why is that a problem? And and nuts, they are tend to be quite low carb. Okay, cashew nuts, you know, moderately low, perhaps. But generally speaking, they're quite low carb uh, and and high fat. It should be fine if it's all about the carbohydrates yeah but the the thing that fascinates me is when you look at it from a satiety lens these are the lowest satiety foods out of all common low carb foods all the foods that people tend to eat on low carb nuts and 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 butter and cream are are the absolutely lowest on the satiety scale so that blew my mind a bit like okay well whoops (laughs) suddenly it's totally obvious why these foods are a problem, something that nobody has been able to explain to me uh, for all these years. So that's, that's cool.
0: Yeah, that's so interesting. And these algorithms, how did you formulate them? You have a team of scientists that uh, chose different validated uh, lenses or questionnaires. How, how was that developed?
1: Yeah, so we've we've done this together with a, a bunch of different experts in the nutrition world and, and try to sort of base the or, or train this algorithm on the to, to fit as well as possible with the existing data that we have with a, a special emphasis, of course uh, well, of course but, but I want us to really lean very heavily on randomized intervention trials and, and not so heavily on observational data epidemiology, which I think is is prone for, to, to a lot of problems and, and biases. So um, we try to ch- uh, choose the factors that seem to be the most powerful in multiple studies and the, the factors that when we uh, consult with various experts, that they agree are the, probably the biggest and most influential factors uh, that that uh, that guys are tied And them. Uh, the, the thing that there is no way today to know exactly, is that how, how do we weigh exactly the, the protein percentage versus the energy density versus the fiber component versus the hedonic factors? Nobody's really done these studies to conclusively prove if it's you know 38% of this or 22% of that so it's impossible today to know exactly and we get criticized for for that and and I think that's that's fair uh, and what I would would say is that we try to weigh them in the way that seems to predict the existing data as well as possible and then we are very open with the fact that this is a work in progress and that future evidence future studies might tweak this a bit so if some study comes out that conclusively shows that you know it's actually a little bit more energy density and a little bit less protein we can tweak this algorithm and uh, in fact we do that quite regularly when we find new data uh, that we can that we can work into it That's so interesting. I mean, ideally, we would want to do a whole series of intervention studies ourselves, but the problem is that that would cost us probably $100 million or more to to do in a really good way. I mean, in the future, I'm hoping we're going to be able to drive this forward um, faster. But today, what we do is we lean on all the uh, studies that are being made um, in the world and just piggyback on that or the ad lib intake uh, human randomized control trials uh, on various uh, proportions of, of foods and then we try to match the results of our algorithm to the existing data from those studies
0: how long did that take to develop
1: i mean we've gone back and forth with hundreds of iterations on this for uh yes close to two years now but again, it's still a work in progress.
0: Right. And for, for the listener, ad libitum fed is eating as you please.
1: Exactly, um, sorry about uh, yeah, no, that. Yeah, no, of course. Um, um, it's uh, eating to satiety, eating as much or as little as you want.
0: And some of the randomized control trials, were you looking at gut hormones? Were there pre- I'm sure there was multiple markers mm-hmm. that went in there to define the impact on satiety
1: no we don't actually look at that uh because uh what we are interested in is is food intake and you know even better if if uh if we have um uh, weight or body fat measurements of of changes in, in weight and, and and body fat so it's, it's those things primarily food ad lib food intake number of calories uh and even even better if we have uh, changes in weight, and changes in, in body fat. I mean, some of the studies we've been looking quite closely on is, uh, are, are the, uh, the inpatient studies from, from Kevin Hall, of course, uh, ultra processed versus unprocessed or, or low carb versus, uh, uh, a, a low fat plant-based diet. Those are really, really interesting. Uh, the diet fit studies there, there are many but but the it's it, those three are some of the most interesting ones for me because coming from a low carb perspective, they all give a result that you cannot explain with a carb insulin model It's just very very different results than what would be predicted uh, but with our model it the results fit perfectly with the with the predicted uh predicted outcome, so that's pretty cool to see.
0: Yeah. Could you just explain a little bit more? Because it is fascinating. I'm sure the the listener would love to yeah, hear. For about, example, yeah, in the yeah. Kevin
1: Hall, uh, quite uh, famous study now, uh, even though it's only been uh, a few years since it came out, where they took a, a group of people and fed them for two weeks, either a ultra processed diet or a, a, uh, an unprocessed diet uh, for two weeks. And then they tried to match for example, the carbohydrate intake. So they were they were eating equal amounts of, of carbohydrates uh, and fat in in both both arms. They also tried to match the protein intake, but it it was slightly off, but close enough. But one was ultra-processed, one was unprocessed. And what they found was that when people were told to eat as much or as little as they wanted, they still ate five hundred more calories per day on the ultra-processed diet and they quickly gained weight on that diet and gained in 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 fat mass as well uh, while they they quickly lost on the unprocessed diet and of course if you come from a low carb perspective you would say same carbs they should have the same effect uh, but they didn't right but if you look at it from our algorithm you can see that the ultra processed diet has much higher energy density in the food uh, much higher much more hyperpalatable, um, and it would be predicted that they would eat quite a lot more, which is exactly what happened. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, I and think... same with the Diet Fit study that uh, we mentioned earlier in the podcast, where you know one low carb arm, one high carb arm, but yet the effects were the same. Right? <laughs> with the low uh, carb carb insulin model, you would predict that the low carb group would do do much much better. In this group of overweight people but it didn't uh, with with our algorithm they score about the same in, in satiety per calorie so it would predict that difference should be minor which is exactly what what happened they both score high um, and the final study uh, again by kevin hall was this study on um, a low carb animal-based ketogenic diet versus a low-fat plant-based diet where you know, at least I, 10 years ago, would have predicted that the keto diet would lead to people eating much less, but it it didn't. You know, they, they ate much more and they they had less loss of of body fat than this low-fat plant-based diet. And, uh, and what you can see um, looking with a subtitle lens on it is that um, the the uh, ketogenic diet was 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 far higher in energy density, much much lower in fiber, and that may be what explains it. Because uh, you you can see with our algorithm that that it actually scores quite a bit lower. So it's I mean really that, those are examples that are pretty cool to see that it it is a better predictor.
0: Yeah, I uh, you know this has the potential to really change the way things are done and the way that the things are thought about. So in retrospect, based on using the satiety index, it's you or it was able to predict exactly what was seen in some of these very well-designed studies.
1: That's that would be cool now that you get new big studies. I know Kevin Hol has a new big study coming up uh, that I'm very eager to see the results from. Uh, it would be also interesting to see, of course, if we can predict in the future what's going to happen. Not just predict the studies that we had access to when we designed it, right? Uh, but I, I, I think it will. And it'll... and to the extent that it doesn't, well, then then we can of course improve it uh, for for next time.
0: Yeah, it'll be amazing to see as uh, these studies come out um, through the lens of of the way in which you're looking at them, how it all correlates. Is if you could predict it, you know what you should do is you should get the studies and then not read the results and see. Yeah,
1: sure, we could do that.
0: That we would can, be very we cool. Can,
1: we can call it in advance. <laughs> you know, we, we have the uh, the. Uh, of course, they have already announced what it is they're going to study, right? So we can we can pre-announce what we predict and then before anybody knows the results, and then we'll see if we were right.
0: I would consider it. I would consider it. I do have a, a last question. Um, what role do you think that the gut microbiome plays in the satiety factor?
1: Yeah, so I have a some, somewhat controversial view on this, although I think that's where where the experts are sort of uh, coalescing, if you if you will. I mean, I, I think the gut microbiome is not a major factor here. I think the gut microbiome is a result of of what we just – like uh, weight loss or weight gain is a result of what we eat is not the cause. Because w- this is something that um, for a while people thought that the gut microbiome is in charge, but actually if you do a fecal transplantation from someone who's thin to someone who's obese, it has no effect whatsoever. Uh, And this has been tested in humans now, I think, at least six times. And all of the results show the same thing, no effect whatsoever. So it seems pretty clear to me that um, what we eat will affect our gut microbiome quite powerfully. And it will affect our health, but not through the microbiome. It's just a dead end, I would say. At least, at least from the perspective of weight and metabolic health, that is what it seems like to me. I, I don't think it's a big thing at all.
0: I think that that is a, a very interesting perspective, and it's important. You know, we will see. I think as the years go on, where all of these pieces fit.
1: But still, you know, if you eat whole foods with a lot of fiber and nutrition, etc., you're going to get good health, and you're going to get what is considered to be a good microbiome. So then everybody's happy, right? But I wouldn't waste money, well, I would consider it wasting money to take probiotics and prebiotics and all kinds of things and analyzing your gut microbiome. I think it's a waste.
0: You think that the better target would be to focus Put on whole foods, on, yes. satiety factors, and body Put
1: money on better foods instead, yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, Andreas, thank you so much for chatting with me. I think that this is a very interesting concept, very interesting episode, and different. It's a it's a different lens through which we can begin to think about nutrition.
1: Well, thank thanks, Gabrielle. It's been a pleasure to be on the show.
0: And we'll link all of this stuff on where to find you, where to find this. And um, I actually had the privilege to see you speak, and you were just a wonderful speaker, and the information that you were putting out there and the visuals on this uh, topic was, it it was really uh, quite powerful.
1: Thanks a lot. Appreciate it.
0: Thank you so much. The Dr. Gabrielle Lyon podcast and YouTube are for general information purposes only and do not constitute the practice of medicine, nursing, or other professional healthcare services, including the giving of medical advice and no patient-doctor relationship is formed. The use of information on this podcast, YouTube, or materials linked from the podcast or YouTube is at the user's own risk. The content of this podcast is not intended to substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Users should not disregard or delay in obtaining medical advice, for any medical condition they may have and should seek the assistance of their healthcare professional for any such conditions. This is purely for entertainment and educational purposes only.